You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Welcome, welcome. Hey, I got a question for you. How many of you in this room, be honest, how many of you are totally done with Christmas shopping? Be honest, anybody? Yeah, there's a few people in here. Now, I'm going to ask the same question, but I'm going to ask it a little different. How many of you have been out in the hustle and bustle and you are done? You are finished with Christmas shopping. Okay, yeah, it's kind of crazy out there right now, isn't it? Yeah, it's, and it's amazing how you ask one thing two different ways, and it really has two different responses. And maybe for those of you who are like, you're finished, you're done with your Christmas shopping, you know, you, uh, I don't know, maybe you are just driven, or you're a control freak, or you are just, you know, way too far ahead. I, I don't know, like, how do you do that? It's amazing that you're able to think that far ahead and plan and do that, because the average person in the room, a lot of us right here in the room, we're not done with our Christmas shopping. We've got a lot left to do, and the mood of the season may not be the mood that you're supposed to have in your heart. You might think, you know what, there's so much to do, and yet I, I can't keep up, or you might just be, I just am having trouble getting into the Christmas season. Anybody in here just having trouble? Be honest. Getting into the Christmas season, getting in the Christmas spirit. Yeah, there's still too much time to go by before you're like, I can't think about that yet because I got too much to do. There's a lot going on. You can't get it. How many of you are way, you've been in the Christmas spirit since June, be honest. Yeah, you're just like those year-round Christmas people, right, way too jolly uh, all year long, and uh, that gets a little crazy for some of us. It's interesting to think of Bethlehem as this small little town. Bethlehem is the city of David. They're, they're Fame was years and years ago when the king, David, was born in that town. And now hundreds of years have passed by, and that's their claim to fame. Well, David was born here, but they're like, yeah, listen, but you're no city of David like Jerusalem that has been captured by David and, and was where he actually set up shop. He didn't actually go back to his hometown. He didn't even make the capital of the nation where he was born. You're in the shadow of this great big city. That's the city of David. And so if you can imagine this sleepy little town of Bethlehem sitting back in the recesses in the shadow of Jerusalem, they're not the city, they're kind of the sub-city, and they're sitting there going, our, our time has passed, our fame has passed, there's nothing great really coming out of Bethlehem today. Yet God's promises regarding his promise to Abraham that went through the family line of David would actually come back and be fulfilled again in Jerusalem. And then there's a future city of David where the return of Christ happens, where the world is done and there's a new heavens, new earth, and there's a new city of David, a new Jerusalem being planted on the earth that we look forward to after the return of the Lord in the future. And we say, well, you know what, that ancient stuff, does it really make sense to my modern Christmas experience right here, right now, in this year? Is it really going to make sense? Does it really impact me? Can the ancient impact the modern? In other words, can it really impact my life, especially when I'm just not feeling the Christmas spirit? Well, Bethlehem was the least of the cities in the towns of Judah. It also is interesting because it's uh, David was born there, and David became king, but David was the least of all his brothers. He was the least likely in his whole family to become king because he had all these other brothers who were older than him. They were off at war. They were doing great things. He was a shepherd, and I need you to understand something. Shepherds were usually such a low role that if you had money, you hired it out. You didn't even want a family member having to endure that, but if you didn't have a lot of money, you just made the youngest, typically male, in the family be the shepherd. And David 
was the shepherd boy, the least likely of any of his brothers to ever become king. And yet David wasn't a perfect man. David was a man who had committed murder. David was a man who committed adultery. And he was a man who was not perfect. But listen to me, he was promised. And there's a big difference. Think about your life for a minute. Are you perfect? Or are you promised? World of difference. Are you perfect in your behavior? Or because of Jesus, are you promised a future hope in the city of David? Because of Jesus, are you promised eternal life? Because of Jesus, are you promised the forgiveness of your sins? He's not expecting perfection. He doesn't expect you to be perfect, but he expects you to be promised and to live under the fact that you were promised by God. Now, because of Christ, we are declared righteous, which is a good thing. But it's so interesting for me to think of all the towns that Jesus could have come through. He came through Bethlehem, the very least of these towns. Of all the people that he would assign to be king, he assigned David the least of his brothers. And maybe in your life and in my life, you might think, well, I'm the least of. I don't have great gifts like this person or that person. But God has declared you promised that in your life you have the opportunity to have the Savior, the creator of the world, the Savior, begin to live in and through you, that he's going to bless you. And through the city of David, through this little town of Bethlehem, he began to have Jesus come and be born there, who would ultimately be a blessing to all nations. Now, the beautiful thing in the New Testament is that we now, when we've accepted Christ as Lord, we now become the, the hands and feet of Jesus, if you will. We become the carriers of hope. We're not perfect, we're promised. And we now carry that hope out into our world. But what do you do when you're just not feeling the Christmas spirit? I'm supposed to be the hope, but I'm just not feeling the Christmas spirit. I'm supposed to do this or that, I'm just not feeling the Christmas spirit. You remember that we are waiting for a city that will never perish, spoil, or fade Christmas is, at this time of year, a time of joy, a time of joy for the experiences we'll have. It's a time of, like, great music. It's a time of just celebration. Some of you have been waiting since June to play all your Christmas music, and your, your spouse has outlawed it until after Thanksgiving, and you now are able to play it, and you're rejoicing because of that. Uh, Christmas is a time of rejoicing, especially for those of us who are Christians, because we understand the hope of Christ being lived in and through us. And if you're not a Christian, we're so glad you're here today because there's no better place for you to begin to unpack some of the doubts or the questions or the experiences or feelings that you've been having. This is a great place to do that. We're so glad that you're here. But it's interesting that these angels show up to shepherds, the least of these these shepherds in the middle of the night and make this announcement that the Messiah has come. If you have a Bible, open with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, this is what the angel says. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for, everyone say all, all the people. Okay, let's take that phrase, good news that's going to cause great joy for all the people. And we just already took a survey here today. Are you feeling great joy in all your circumstances? Now, I don't think all the people in the room are feeling great joy at this moment because sometimes it's hard to get into the Christmas spirit. And that would be the case for shepherds. They didn't have a lot of chances in life. They were at the least of their occupation and they didn't have a lot of opportunity to move up. Do me a favor for just a minute. Everyone just close your eyes. So it's everybody. Right where you are, just close your eyes. And I want to ask this question. When you picture God, 
looking at you, what expression is on his face? Is it one of joy? Is it one of just love and endearment? Is it, is it maybe an overbearing father type figure or something who's, who's disappointed or displeased or judging you? Is it, is it maybe just kind of a credit card that you go to that he's just willing to give you something when you're in need or when you have that moment that you have desperation that you just turn to him? What expression is on his face? Open your eyes with me. It's interesting. Well, what do you do when you don't feel the Christmas spirit? What do you and I do? How do we get joy when we're just not feeling the Christmas spirit? Maybe your mood is just foul. It's down. It's streaky at best. Uh, what about when circumstances come along and steal your joy? It's just that cloud that's over you. What about when tragedy happens? What about when terrorism happens? What about when the world is full of evil? And we begin to look at all that and go, how can I have joy at this time of season? What about when USC loses to Stanford? You just say, how in the world can you have joy at this time of season? Unless, of course, you're a Stanford fan. How do you and I find joy when you just can't get into the Christmas spirit? And maybe for you, it's been a tragedy. Maybe you walk in here with a heavy burden and your impossible situation is overshadowing the light of Christmas. So if you have notes today, I want you to take out that program, uh, your, your outline, and take some notes here today because I think God's got a message for you that's going to apply to right where you are. How do you and I find joy when we're just not feeling the Christmas spirit? As we begin to unpack our moods, we're going to begin to realize that the message of Christmas, the message of Jesus is going to help determine the moods we experience in our daily up and down as we walk through Christmas. And maybe for you today, maybe as you're determining, well, what's my mood? What am I feeling right now? Maybe you're just feeling, I'm so displaced. I'm so displaced. I feel so displaced that you, maybe you've gone through a move. Maybe you uh, have just recently moved to Elk Grove and you're saying like, well, I didn't plan for this move or I didn't mean to be here or I picture things looking different than they do. And you've just gone through a relocation, maybe in your job or where you live and you're just feeling very displaced. Maybe it's a, an unwanted time. It's just inconvenient. It wasn't the right time for me to move, and I didn't want to have to move this time, or I didn't want to have to change things up in life, and life is looking different. It might be that you're like Mary and Joseph, that you've just somehow become a blended family. You've become an insta-family, if you will, which is what they experienced. It wasn't the normal way of things where Joseph was going to be betrothed to Mary, and that would happen for about a year, and then they would marry, and then they would go on to have kids. And all of a sudden, during the betrothal period, she becomes pregnant by God's Holy Spirit. This is an unwanted, unforeseen thing. It doesn't look like what he wants. He feels displaced at this time. Maybe for you, it's that you have a new city or a new town. Maybe you're like Bethlehem. You just feel like, I feel displaced, like I'm just like the least of these Maybe in your family so much turmoil or tra uh, transition has happened that you're just going, I, I just don't feel the Christmas spirit because so much has gone on in the last year that makes my season look different than what I anticipated or expected and you begin to lose joy. We remember that it wasn't just you and I who sometimes feel displaced, but that it's the 
Lord felt this place, that Mary and Joseph feel this place. If you have your Bible in Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, it says this. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire what? Roman world. Well, remember, these are Jewish people. These are Jewish people, but they're occupied by a foreign nation. So this inconvenient displacement moment, this expectation comes to everybody. It's not just Mary and Joseph who are displaced. I mean, unless you grew up in a town, lived in the same town your entire life, and happened to just exist in that town, you never moved, you never married, never went anywhere else. All those people were transitioning. All those people had to go back because a foreign nation declared, we're taking a census, everybody's got to go back to their own hometown. This is a massive refugee situation, if you will. Because for a time, everybody's displaced. Everybody's got to go around. Everyone's got to deal with the census. They didn't have online census ability or people come knock at your door. They said everybody's displaced. If you imagine the season that it was, it would be like a massive refugee movement in the nation of Israel under Roman rule. This has nothing to do with being a Jewish person. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. So everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town, right, the city of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. There was no room. Matt Lingo in his song that we have been singing, The City of David, he writes these lyrics. Look at these with me, if you will. The night is shining, the world awaits. The coming of his saving grace, creator of all, reaching for the broken heart. And maybe your heart this year is broken. Maybe your mood is that you feel displaced. Maybe you feel out of sorts. And it's such a beautiful picture that, that here's the savior of the world, but he's, he's reaching to you. It's not you in your displacement saying, God, I just, I feel this place. But that God ahead of time, he's been reaching down to you. He understands the condition of your mood. He understands the condition of your heart. And God is reaching down to you. Today, again, you're going to realize that the meaning of Christmas determines the mood that you and I will experience. And let me just transition that, that the understanding about who Christ is and the fact that we have a Savior brings joy to our heart, but, but there's something that happens right here, that difference between our head and heart. And what happens right here is called choice. I choose, do I want the joy I know about cognitively to penetrate my heart? Am I going to allow it in there? Am I going to let God begin to grow joy? Or am I going to let circumstances in the outside situation determine whether I experience joy or not? So how do we find joy when we're already carried along by life? When outside circumstances are determining for us, we have choice because of the meaning of Christmas. Understand this. God himself was displaced at Christmas time. That the God of heaven would leave heaven and he would come to earth, the creator now with the creation, that he would lay aside 
so much, and he would come down and be in the form of a human being, the God-man, the only one that ever existed. It's why it's a virgin birth, because it was God's doing, and then a woman, and it was the coming together of them, and he is the perfect son of God. But he was displaced. He allowed himself to be displaced for years, over 33 years before Jesus was killed on a cross, rose from the dead, and ascended back into heaven. He was displaced at this time of year. He understands what it's like to be displaced. We say to ourselves, you know what? I just need to understand that God had to be put in this temporary home in his plan. And we can say, I am not displaced ever in Christ. If I'm in Christ, I'm never displaced. He understands. He understands where I will be and what I will do. In fact, he's at work in that location and in those circumstances before I get there. I am never displaced in Christ. I'm never put out in Christ. I'm never orphaned in Christ. I'm always adopted in Christ. I'm never perfect aside from Christ, but I am promised, which is a beautiful thing. Paul, in talking to a bunch of Greek people, said this in Acts 17. He's making an argument for God, the creator, and he he says this to these people, speaking of God, he says, from one man he made all the nations so that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times and histories and the boundaries of their land. God did this, listen, so that they would seek him. They would perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. What is Paul saying? Paul's saying that God determines the times and the places where you'll live. Do you realize that? God determines right here, right now, at what time and what place where you'll live. He determined the beginning of your birth. You didn't choose it, did I? I didn't. He doesn't determine the day of your death, or he determines the day of your death. You and I should not. That God is the one who determines the times and the places where we live and how we live and move and have our being. They're all through him. Paul is making this argument to those who haven't recognized God. He's saying, God does this, listen, so that you and I will seek him, perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. Sometimes God allows you and I to be in a place where we are displaced because he wants you and I to, in that moment, in that place, reach for him. That God, nothing like displacement is going to make me seek you more than this right now, than where I am right now. And God's saying, are you going to, in that place, are you going to reach out for me? Are you going to seek me and find that I'm not far from anyone? I'm right there, available to you. God was displaced in that way. The meaning of Christmas compels us to sing for gladness because we remember that unto us has been born a Savior. And maybe what you need right now in feeling displaced is you need someone to step in and be a Savior. You don't need to simply think of a baby in a manger. You don't need to simply think of holiday lights or Christmassy things, but you need to say, God, will you meet me right here, right now, as a Savior? I need a Savior. Well, maybe you don't feel displaced, but maybe you feel like the shepherds did, you feel defeated. You feel defeated. Shepherds 
Their day was routine. It was normal for them. Every day was the same. They didn't get days off. They were just shepherds. It's what they did. And they provided food for the people of the land. They, in the nature of their work, were often unclean, and they were viewed as religious outcasts. Even if you were a Jewish person, oftentimes they would say, by the nature of your work, you can't actually be, make yourself clean in the way that a Jewish person should stand and right standing before God. So they were a religious outcast. They were a societal outcast, but they were a needed service. And, and that's where they were. They just said, you know, I don't have the chance for promotion. I don't have the chance to get out. Every day is just routine. My job and my life and my lot in life and the family I was born into, the whole nine yards, they just say, it is what it is. And they don't hope for anything better. And maybe that's you. Maybe you've been living defeated. Well, God, I'm the least of these. Nothing good could ever come through me. You know what I've done in my life and with my life. And you're living defeated. Maybe you're just saying, God, I don't think, I don't have gifts like other people have gifts. I don't, I don't view myself like that. And the honest thing is that sometimes we get stuck. We get unmotivated because life is routine. We don't even aspire to much better because it just is what it is. And oftentimes the statement that we make, the cry of our heart in those moments is the cry of the shepherds. The shepherds would have said, you know what? It's just not fair. That's what they would say. It's not fair. It's not fair that in my life or, or in these circumstances that I don't have chance to go anywhere from here. It's just not fair. And in doing so, we begin to become self-focused and look at ourselves. And God is saying, in that moment, when you and I cry out and say, it's not fair, when we look and say, well, how come these people who don't follow God seem to have it good, but we're working so hard and it's just tough in our lives, it just doesn't seem fair. And, and then we say, well, God, why, why would this person have to go through that health crisis? It's just not fair. And we begin to live defeated. We begin to say, God, why should I have to worry about addiction? And why should I have to face my own addictions when there's other people who don't have addictions? And, and why, why would that be so hard for me at this time of year? We just say, it's just not fair. And that would be the cry of the shepherds. But we're to look for God and find him. And the beautiful thing is that even when we aren't looking for God, even when we aren't finding him and we're living defeated, God finds you. So do the shepherds doing the routine thing, living defeated. All of a sudden the angel shows up and he comes down and he says this in Luke 2 verse 10. He says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for who? All, all the people, right? Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. So instantly down to shepherds, he's saying, listen, I'm bringing you good news, great joy just for the rich. Nope. I bring you good news, great joy, just for the people who actually live in the city of David. You're out here in the fields, so just want to let you know good things are happening to all of them. Nope. Good news, great joy for all, all the people. All of a sudden, in a defeated place, they begin to have hope awaken. Hope arises in that moment, and the shepherds rejoice because of the gift of God. Uh, let me be honest. If the angel just showed up that night and said, unto you is born this day a prophet like Amos or Isaiah, we wouldn't be rejoicing today. We're like, ah, just another prophet, right? That would be us. If the angels had announced that night, unto you is born a great philosopher, and he's going to stir up the minds of Aristotle, and, and he's going to stir up the minds of Plato, 
And he's going to come and talk in very learned language to these great minds like, like Socrates or Plato or Aristotle. If he come to discuss things like that to them, we would not be rejoicing at this time of year, would we? Ah, another philosopher. By the way, who remembers the birth of Aristotle anyway? None of us. It wouldn't make any difference. But that's not what he came to do. That's not what was announced to them. What was announced to them is that today in the city of David is born to you a Savior, the Messiah. He is Christ the Lord. That is good news. And so the shepherds, those who are living defeated, let alone all the rest of the people, begin to find reason to experience joy in the midst of their mood or their experience. Matt wrote this in his song, City of David. He said this, Out on the hills, the shepherds quake. A thousand stars light the way. Heaven's mystery, when love came down to set us free. That's the beautiful thing. That's the beautiful thing about the message right now. That when we begin to sing that song, we're proclaiming that, that God would become flesh and, and this announcement would come to those who were out in the fields at a defeated state. That suddenly God would come and say, I bring you good news of great joy, which today is for all the people. The meaning of Christmas determines the mood that you and I experience. Well, maybe you're not living displaced or you're not feeling defeated. Maybe you're actually feeling pretty good. You're feeling great about yourself. You're like, listen, I have got stuff together. My Christmas shopping is done. I am just, you know, this is my favorite time of year. And you are a high-level performer, and you're just go, 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 go. And you're pretty self-sufficient. And you're going, I think I'm pretty good. My mood is pretty good. Well, maybe you're driven. Maybe you're driven. And there's a difference between being driven and accomplished and, and you know, successful in that way and actually feeling joy. There are a lot of driven people who are joyless. There are a lot of driven people who do much, but they don't have hope or light. They simply are carried along by life. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're driven. We remember King Herod. King Herod was a driven man. See, he was a king, but he was a king under the occupying nation of Rome. So here he was, a Jewish king. I'm the king of the Jews. But he's really kind of a lame duck king, right? Because he's, he's under the, the authority of Rome. But he still has leverage. He can still do things. And so he has created his world in a driven state. He's created it to be all about me. He gets threatened. He's, he's materialistic. He is self-seeking. He is basically saying nothing else matters but what's in it for me. And he says this, listen, I want to be a success no matter what. That's Herod. That's this king. He wants to be successful and not be threatened by anything else. No matter what he has to do, no matter what it takes, I will be successful. Some of you are driven like that. You are out to be the best Christmas shopper of all Christmas shoppers. You're going to be the best gift giver. You're going to give more thoughtful gifts to more people than anyone else. And you're going to pat yourself on the back and go, I got this thing dialed in. You're driven. Some of you are driven about the event. Oh, it's going to come together. It's going to be perfect. All these things are going to happen. And, you, and you're, you're driving yourself. You're striving. You're out there wearing yourself out because you're trying to make sure everyone else is going to come together to make that event what you expect it to be. And you're driven. Some of you are so driven by work and success and performance that you're saying, you know, Christmas is an afterthought. I'll get, to, I'll get to Christmas shopping on Christmas Eve. And you're thinking, I'll eventually get there. And, and, you know, but right now I'm occupied with so much other stuff and the joy of Christmas is not 
coming into your heart. And when the holy meets the driven, there's a clash. When God's plan comes to earth through the baby Jesus, that he is the king of the Jews, not just the king, temporary, but the king that is eternal forever, the one who's not just king of the town of Bethlehem, but the king who's the, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. When this holy God comes to earth in the person of Jesus, when that happens and there is a temporary earthly kingdom that's not going to last, but that you are hanging on to with all your might, there's going to be a fight. There's going to be a clash in that moment. And so what happens? Just under two years, we, we uh, look after Jesus was born, the Magi come to visit the Christ child. Let me just time out. I just want to uh, destroy your, your nativity scene for just a minute. <laughs> the wise men, if they showed up at your nativity scene right now, they're two years late. So they were like 2013 shepherds, I mean, uh, no, wise men, right? Because what happens is the shepherds show up the night the infant Jesus was born, but the scriptures are clear that when the magi showed up, it is a child, and there's two very specific, very different words that describe those in scripture, and they're intentional. So this is some time after the baby has been born. They show up at there to worship, and they go, because they don't know where the baby is, they go to the existing leadership. They go to Herod, and this is what happens in Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was heard through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. So this Old Testament prophecy gets fulfilled in that moment of this driven man murdering innocent children. It says this, a voice is heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Listen, we live in a culture that you say, I, I wouldn't go murder babies. I wouldn't go out there and do, you know, whatever. You, you, we live in a culture, though, that becomes all about us, all about our kingdom. What am I going to get? What am I going to do? How is everybody else going to revolve around me? And we get really self-centered. I, I saw this post, and I got permission to actually use it. But uh, this, this gal said, she said, I should probably start Christmas shopping, but I keep buying things for myself. Right? You go out to Target, and you go, oh, I got to go get some Christmas gifts. You go out to Target, and then you come home with like uh, $100 of stuff, and none of them are gifts. They're all just saying, like, how did that happen? You go to Costco, right? It's like three times that much. You, just, you go out, and all of a sudden, you're like, it, 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 our world has become all about us. It's all about us. We say, just give me gift cards, because then I can buy for myself what I want, instead of depending on you all to you know, give us a gift, Right? And that's what our world has come to. We become all about us. We are striving. We are driven. And maybe for us, we embrace the false expectations of where love or significance or status come from. And they don't come through what we get. They come through what we give. And they, they come through what's been given to us. That Christ has been born. And he lives in us and among us. And it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. I need a savior. And some of you in this room, you're going to just admit in my drivenness right now, I am so carried along by these expectations. I'm so carried along by 
by my list of what I've made of what I want to do. I mean, you think Santa's list is bad, your list is worse, and you just, you're just being carried along with this, and you're saying, I need a Savior. I need a Savior to step in and rescue me from myself, from my drivenness. I need joy, and that comes to Christ the Lord. Let's be honest. If the angels had come and they had announced, unto you is born a mighty king, we would not be celebrating or singing great songs at this time of year, would we? would be like another king. It's another Herod, right? That's all they would have come along to announce. Now, Jesus is a king. He's the greatest king. If Jesus had come to merely liberate, like Joshua conquering Jericho, or he'd come to liberate, like Moses rescuing the Israelites and bringing them out of their slavery in Egypt, uh, then Jesus might have just come and rescued Jewish people from Rome. But it's not why he came. If Jesus had come to rule in material power and prosperity like the great King Solomon, there would be no stirring music being played across the land at this time of year. I mean, who remembers the birth of Solomon? Who remembers his birthday? Right? It's not what we needed, a king, a philosopher, a conqueror. It's not what we needed. We needed a savior. And that's why we sing. It's why we have joy. And in your drivenness, in your discouragement, in your doubt, when you feel defeated, when you feel displaced, you and I, we need a Savior. And maybe you here today, you say, I, I, I just feel doubtful. I mean, honestly, with all that's going on in our world, our world's going crazy right now. All that's going on in our world, maybe you're walking through personal tragedy, maybe you walk through just enough stuff that you're like, I'm just doubting. I'm just doubting if this stuff is real. I'm doubting even that. Maybe you're here today and you're not a believer, and, and you just say, I, I'm not sure what to do yet with Jesus. I'm doubtful. But you're here at a great place to begin to unpack that and see, is God revealing himself to you? Are you reaching for him, reaching out for him that he will find you? And God's good to do that. He is a, you're in the right place for that to happen. But maybe if you say, you're, you're just doubtful right now. And, and the question is, how will this ever happen? How will I get joy? If you honestly know what I'm going through, if you honestly know what my impossible situation is, how am I going to experience joy? How does that become a reality? And you, you're asking the question, like, how is that humanly possible? And right there, you and I asked the wrong question, didn't we? How in the world is that humanly possible? Well, it's a beautiful thing because that's exactly the sense of the question that Mary asks the angel who comes and says, God is going to come upon you. You're going to be, you're going to be with child. And she's going, that's great. I'm willing for whatever God wants to happen. But how is that going to happen? Because I'm just a virgin. She's like, how is that going to happen? And the angel says this in Luke 137. He says this, for no word from God will ever fail. No word from God will ever fail. What a beautiful picture that is, right? What's the angel saying? Nothing is impossible with God. You say, how is that humanly possible? It's not. But no word from God will ever fail. Last week, we looked at the prophecies, over 300 in the Old Testament, coming true in the single person of Jesus Christ. And you say, how in the world is that humanly possible? It never could be. But it is providential. And that's the difference. That you and I begin to say, no word from the Lord will ever fail. Nothing is impossible for God. And so Zechariah, who is an old man who had an old, elderly, beyond the childbearing age years wife, 
And the angel comes and says, your wife is going to be with child. He's like, how is that possible, right? And yet Elizabeth, the elderly cousin of Mary, becomes pregnant with John the Baptist. And John becomes the one who years later paves the road for the people in the culture to listen to the coming of the Messiah. With God, it was possible. So he's saying, not only, Mary, is this going to happen to you? But already, here's what God's at work on. What, here's something impossible that God's doing right now. And he's also going to do something impossible in your life. Because with God, no word from God will ever fail. Maybe you're like Joseph. Well, wait a minute. I'm supposed to be betrothed, and now this woman's pregnant, and everyone's going to think it was me, but it wasn't. Maybe I'll divorce her quietly. And then God comes along through an angel and says, don't divorce her. She's to be your wife. She's going to give birth. I'm doing this here. I'm at work here, Joseph, and I need you to get on board with my plan. And this is my promise. No word of the Lord will ever fail, and I'm going to have you lead. And he does a righteous thing and takes her as his wife, and he takes the integrity road, even though everybody else would misunderstand. Maybe for you, you're facing some impossible circumstances. Some of you in this room, just tragic. We have an acquaintance named Tiffany. Tiffany grew up doing a bunch of Disney, the whole Disney shows type thing as an actor. And, uh, and she grew up doing that and has been on several shows. And, uh, but she married a guy who did a lot of work with MTV and they moved out to Arkansas. Well, about a week and a half ago, uh, they've only been married four years, but a week and a half ago, um, they both lost just a great friend. It was actually one of Tiffany's bridesmaids in her wedding four years ago um, was killed and dead. And it's just brutal. And then this week, Tiffany's husband and a buddy were killed in the car wreck in Arkansas. She's now a single mom of two little boys. Here's someone who grew up knowing Jesus, but yet life happened. Tragedy happened. The worst that you and I could imagine. It happened in her life. And here she is. I've only been married four years. We have two kids. And now I'm a single mom. And Christmas is looking a whole lot different than I thought. And, and one of uh, our, our friends in Southern California reached out to her just to say, what can we do? And they've kind of been that whole actor uh, scene together. And I was so impressed. Tiffany wrote back to her friend's text, wrote back one statement, one sentence. And here's what it said. She wrote back and said this, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 34, 18. Her one reply in the midst of her grief, her shock, her awe was that she needed a savior and has a savior that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. That, by the way, is a psalm of David from Psalm 34. One who firsthand understands what it's like to be, have a crushed spirit, to be broken before the Lord, and that God is the one who reaches into there and is able to birth out of our brokenness joy. How do you experience joy? That makes no sense. How is that humanly possible that she could say such a thing? It's not. She has a savior. And the message of Christmas changes the mood that she experiences as she's got to walk the road of grief. Matt wrote this in his song. He said, the star is shining. Hope awakes. Prophets foretold in the city of David, lion and the lamb, son of God, Son of man, 
the Old Testament phrase that Isaiah used to refer to the future Messiah, the Son of Man who would come. Jesus referred to himself all the time as the Son of Man. What is he doing? He's referencing Old Testament prophecy in his current situation as himself. I am the Messiah is what he's saying every time he says that. And of course, Jesus is a prophet. Jesus is a philosopher. Jesus is a king. He's the greatest king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. But we needed more than any of those things. We needed a savior. That Christ came into the world to save sinners from the penalty and power of their sins. So many of you have heard John 3.16. You know, you see the little people hold up on their placard at a sporting event. John 3.16. But maybe you're not as familiar with John 3.17. If you have a Bible, look at with me at John 3.17. Telling about the plan of God, why he did what he did. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But to save the world through him. Remember when I asked you to picture how God looks at you. How does that impression resonate with this verse? That Jesus didn't come into your life to condemn you. He came into your life to save you. You and I, we need a savior. We didn't need a king or a philosopher. In his great love, Jesus, the Son of Man, suffered as a representative for the entire human race so that we can be rescued from the spiritual forces of evil in this world. And one day Jesus will return with the clouds of heaven as he promised, and his victory will be complete. See, our world's going crazy. But in the midst of that, we can experience joy because not because we needed a great president or a great king or a great world order. What we need is a savior. And he has come. He is Christ, the Lord. That is good news. Matt wrote this in his song. Someday the ground would shake. Hearts could change. Love will reign. Sing Gloria before the king on our knees. Sing Gloria. What does Gloria mean? It means giving glory to God. It's just a Latin word, right? We sing Gloria to God. We're going to give him glory. Why? Because we needed a savior. And the ground shook when he gave his life on the cross for your sin and mine. In the moment of his death, a great earthquake happened. The ground shook and hope was awakened as Jesus went to the grave and it looked like the least of this was going to happen. But he would rise again as God because he is our Messiah. He is our savior. When you and I remember the meaning of Christmas and we walk through choice, when we remove that barrier, we allow joy to replace the mood that we're experiencing. Will you just bow your heads and close your eyes just for a minute? Maybe today you're realizing for the first time that what Jesus did on the cross, what happened in ancient times actually has a modern application. That what Jesus did way back then was actually intended to be a savior in your life right now. And if today you'd like to receive him, see, he's a gentleman, he gives you choice. You have to choose Jesus. And if today what you're feeling in your heart that you're like, I need to choose Jesus. And that sense you have it on the inside is God just reaching to you in the midst of your mood. And he's drawing you into relationship with himself. And if today you would like to receive Jesus as your Lord, then pray a prayer right where you're seated. God hears you. You pray this right after me. Jesus, today I say yes to you. I believe you are God. Become flesh that you died on the cross for me 
that you rose to new life. I ask you to forgive me of all my sin and to make me a new creation. Today, Jesus, I'm saying yes to you. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.